Hello and welcome to the One Hope Podcast, where faith and life connect. A podcast done by One Hope Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. Enjoy! Hello, One Hope Church and podcast friends. Welcome to America's latest game show sensation, Why Did Pat Pick That? I'm today's host, Matt Mysterick. Now, for everyone playing our home version, um, I suspect many of you were blessed to call Pat Lelvis a friend. And on Saturday, uh, as we gathered for Pat's memorial service, I wasn't surprised to see a full room of Pat's friends and students and people she influenced over the decades. Um, so this week, our church plunges into a year-long study of the Book of Romans. And today, the first day of our supplemental reading, chosen by Pat before she went to be with Jesus, we have Acts chapter 9. The radical, upside-down, 180-degree, utterly mind-blowing conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, I I never had a chance to ask Pat, but I think what she wanted us to do is, is really to revisit Paul's first shuffling steps as a Christ follower, living forgiven, before we take our first steps into his, his great epistle, what many scholars consider the greatest letter ever written, and not just in the Bible. Well, the road from Jerusalem to Damascus is around 135 miles, a healthy distance in Bible times, even on the back of a horse, which Paul may or may not have been riding. Catholic tradition says he probably was. But 135 miles was nothing compared to the spiritual distance Paul traveled in one fateful encounter on that road. So I'm going to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9 very quickly, but you may want to read the whole chapter and take your time. And bear with me here. I might go back and forth between Saul and Paul because, of course, his name was sort of in transition at this point. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So then the chapter goes on to tell how a brave um, Jesus follower named Ananias laid his hands on Saul's head and healed his blindness. And then in verse 20, at once Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. It's like, it's almost like a you know, light switch goes on for, for his eyes and for his soul. You know, because 
you know, Saul was a murderous, misguided Pharisee whose disgust for Christians was the, was the very air that he breathed. And then all, all of a sudden he became the self-described servant of Christ as he introduces himself in the first chapter of Romans. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. For me, it's, it's hard to conceive of a person turning their life around so suddenly, isn't it? Can you think of any parallels? I mean, there's the 12 disciples, right? But they, they traded in their lives to follow Jesus, and then it was a, a three-year journey. None really seemed to have an instantaneous heart transplant. In literature, there's that guy Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> But with him, the overnight change from bad guy to good guy was the result of Christmas Eve hallucinations possibly caused by indigestion, half-digested half beef and uh, undercooked potato. So no, Paul's 180-degree turnaround is not the stuff of books or movies. It's a real-life transformation caused caused by a supernatural force that we Christians still have a hard time wrapping our brains around. And I know I do. And that force is grace. So last week, um, Carrie and I were reading a Max Lucado devotion. And in it, Lucado described what he called the wimpy grace that we often settle for. Wimpy grace. We, you know, we talk about grace politely. We, we sing sweet songs about it. We we record podcasts about it. But Lucado says, God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a white water riptide upside downness about it. Or, as we see in today's uh, text, it can strike you blind and knock you from the back of a horse. Before long, Paul would come to understand how much he needed to be knocked over. Chief among sinners, that's what he called himself many years later in a, in, a, in a letter to Timothy, one of the last letters before his death. The worst of the worst. And of, and of all the times for Jesus to show up and do his redeeming work, it was smack dab in the middle of Saul's latest sin. And it was a doozy. He was, he was on his way to Damascus to extradite Christians back to Jerusalem for persecution possibly death. And what did Saul have to say for himself? Well, this well-educated Jewish scholar who would go on to write about two-thirds of the book of the New Testament, um, the book of Acts records only four words from Paul's lips. Who are you, Lord? He, he didn't recite the sinner's prayer. He didn't recite a psalm of repentance. It's almost like he was struck dumb at the same time he was struck blind. But Saul's words really don't matter in the scheme of things because God was the one making a statement on the road to Damascus. And that statement resonates through the centuries, all of the centuries to us here today. There is no sin deep enough, high enough, or wide enough to separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. He died for us on a cross while we were still sinners, and he intercedes for us today under those same circumstances. 
he heard Saul's dumbfounded cries of, Who are you, Lord? And he meets us in those desolate times when we cry out in the dark, Where are you, Lord? He's here to do a redemptive work for us when, when we fall off the horse time and time again. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the life of the Apostle Paul. It says in Acts 9 that he was your chosen instrument to take your message into the world. We ask that you would work in and through us in our study of Romans the coming weeks and months so that we also may be your instruments of grace and truth. With Pat Lelvis cheering us on from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.